Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with his word, and more in love with people. Pray it's well with your soul this morning, amen? If you have your Bible, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, we're continuing our series entitled Faith for Today. And uh, it's so good to be back in the Lord's house. And uh, uh, we had some wind and whatnot, but uh, I, I for one am very thankful for the rain. Uh, man, what a blessing to uh, get some rain. It is... Uh, I, I had not cut my grass for about three and a half weeks previously, and then last week I attempted to cut it, but it really was nothing more than a big dust bowl, and uh, I, I felt like I was just throwing dust around, and so very thankful for the rain this morning. If you have your Bible, look with me in Hebrews chapter 11 in the precious Word of God. We're going to begin reading in verse number one. Notice with me, the writer of Hebrews says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Verse number four. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. Look at verse number five, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, notice what it says, but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for the songs that we have sung. And Lord, even when we, we seem to struggle, Lord, I'm thankful that you are the great I am. I'm thankful that I don't have to make all the decisions, that you are in control of it all. And Lord, for the one who has placed their faith in thee, certainly they are able to say with great confidence, it is well. It is well with their soul. Lord, I pray that today that you might speak to us in a new way. God, that you might, uh, in a sense, revive our hearts to walk and to have this life of faith that pleases you. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in our midst that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that today, through the preaching of the Word and the wooing of your Holy Spirit, God, that you'll draw them unto yourself where they might find forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. Lord, I love you. I pray that you'll be with me now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight because you are my strength, God, and you are my redeemer. Lord, I love you and I thank you for all the things that you do and I look forward to what you will do in the coming moments with great anticipation and I'll give you the praise in advance for it all. In the precious name of your son, Jesus, we pray and for his sake, amen. 
Well, again, it is good to see you uh, this morning. Look with me, as we've seen over the past couple weeks, this is uh, lesson number three in this uh, series, Faith for Today. And as we've seen already over the past couple weeks, and as we just read, look at verse number one. Hebrews 11.1 1 begins by telling us what faith is. And it says there in verse number one that faith is. It is the substance, notice the substance or the assurance. Remember we said that means assurance or confidence. So it says faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for in the evidence or the conviction that you and I have of things not seen. So the things that we hope for or are sure of are the things that God has promised and the things that you and I cannot see but we understand and are convinced of these things. Those are the things that God has revealed to us in his word. Therefore, we've said over and over like a broken record, faith believes what God has revealed and faith trusts what God has promised. Oh, I hope that's, your, I hope that's the, what's going on in your heart, man. Are you thankful for Jesus today? Man, I'm thankful. I'm also thankful for Texas who beat Alabama yesterday. No, I'm just teasing. No, I'm very serious. Last week, last week we looked at the real life story of Abel who still teaches us the importance of having a faith that actually listens to God. Do you know that if you believe what God has revealed and you trust what he has promised, then you must have a faith that actually takes the word of God and reads the word of God, meditates on the word of God, but actually listens with the idea that, hey, guess what? God said it. That settles it. So guess what? I'm going to put it into practice in my life. That's a faith that listens, that says God has revealed it, therefore I ought to set my course, my course for adventure, if you please, based upon the word of God. That's what a faith is, that faith uh, that listens. And in verse number four, it said, remember, it said that Abel had this faith, and by his faith he offered to God. Remember, his offering was not to man, it was not to some kind of show. He offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. In other words, Abel listened to God, he believed what God said, and he trusted what God said. And because of his faith, because of the fact that he believed what God said, because he believed what God had promised, no doubt to his mom and dad, he said, guess what? I'm going to offer this sacrifice in faith. Today we move forward with another example, and really one of my personal favorites. If you know me, you know that Enoch is one of my personal favorites. And interestingly enough, Enoch is recognized as one of only two men one of only two men in Scripture who passed through death's portal without actually physically dying. Man, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, listen, if you're here when Jesus returns, that'll be your case. You'll just boom. It'll be like, uh, you know, the Star Trekkers. You know, beam me up. And it ain't going to be Scotty that beams you up. It's going to be Jesus. He's also the only person in Scripture Besides the Lord Jesus Christ himself, for whom it was said that he pleased God. What a testimony. He said he pleased God. Look at verse number five of our text again. It says, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death. 
and was not found because God had translated him. Well, why did God translate him? Listen, whenever you see a colon in Scripture, do yourself a favor and ask the question why about what's getting ready to follow. Why? Notice what it says. It says that before his translation, he actually had this testimony that he pleased God. So listen, for more on this compelling story, turn with me back to Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. Last week we went from Hebrews 11, 4 back to Genesis 4. Today we're going to look back at Genesis 5. And as you're turning, when you get there, in, in, in my Bible it's page 3. So I'm going to give you a hint of where you can find it. It's all the way back at the beginning. Listen, when you get there, if you start looking at Genesis 5, immediately some questions are going to pop out right away because the, the reality is Genesis 5 actually... Uh, records 10 generations, 10 generations of people from Adam all the way to Noah, right? So you've got Adam, you've got Seth, and Enos, and Canaan, and Mahalalel, and Jared, and, and Methuselah, and Lamech, and Noah. And so you've got all of these generations listed here in Genesis chapter 5. And typically, I don't know if you're like me, but when I start reading a list of names, I begin to ask the question, why? Why did we take up this whole chapter by literally listing name after name after name, right? Isn't that what we do? We say, why are they all recorded? Well, in this instance, you can actually find this list repeated over in Luke chapter 3. If you look over in the Gospels, you'll find this list again. And uh, the reality is, it's speaking of the lineage or the ancestry of Jesus Christ. So in other words... The thing that matters, as you look here at Genesis chapter 5, the thing that matters about each of these men that are listed in Genesis chapter 5 is their relationship with Jesus. Isn't that good? What matters the most about them, you're like, oh, that's really revelatory. Uh, the thing that matters the most about these guys listed in Genesis 5 is their relationship with Jesus. When you think about it, look at some of these names. We really don't know much about uh, Seth and, and Enos and Canaan or, or Jared, for example. We don't, we don't read about a lot of triumph. We don't read a lot about uh, horrible disasters. But literally, the one thing that we do see and the one thing that they're known for and the one thing that they're mentioned for is their relationship to Jesus. Can I just stop just for a second in the greater context? Do you know that the only thing, when, it, when, when all is said and done, this is really, really serious, when all is said and done, the only thing that will really matter about you and me is our relationship to Jesus. You know, your, your good looks, your social media account, how many followers you got on Twitter or Insta or Snap or whatever, that's, that doesn't mean anything. Young people, it doesn't mean anything. Old people who are trying to be like young and you got a Snapchat account, get over yourself and delete that thing. Nobody, I don't want to see a snap of you, sir. I don't, I, I really, listen, I see what, see, listen, I don't want to see a snap of you at 11 o'clock at night, right? Get rid of it. Can I just tell you, your job, your intelligence, a lot of people put a lot of faith in their intelligence, your job, your intelligence, 
any of your accomplishments, to coin the phrase of an old song, will be just dust in the wind. The only thing that matters at the end of the day is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so you see, all these names are listed. But the second question that I think stands out is, why do these jokers live for so long? I mean, do you read this? Look at this. These players are living about ten times as long as we do. I mean, you start reading it. Look at verse number five. Verse five tells us that Adam lived 930 years. Verse number eight tells us that Seth lived 912 years. Verse 11 tells us that Enos lived 905 years. And Canaan, 910 years. I mean, come on. Obviously, this is a part of God's plan for humanity, right? To, to populate the, the, the earth during the early generations. But if you notice, after Noah and the flood, after Noah and the flood, the lifespan of people begins to drop significantly time after time after time to get it down to where we're accustomed to today. So what I see is those that are in the early generations, yes, they live super long lives. And listen, if you want to be that guy or that gal who says, well, was a year really 365 days or was a year something else? I don't care. It's still a long time. It's like, bro, 910 years is a long time. I'm feeling a little less than myself today and I'm about to turn 57. Can you imagine being 910? I think some of you can. But here's the deal. Even though they lived super long lives, they all had something in common with you and me today. They all had something in common with you and me today. Look back at verse number five. Because verse number five says this. It says, And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Verse number eight. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Verse 11, and all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. And all the days of Canaan, in verse number 14, Canaan, uh, were 910, and he died. Listen, I'm not sharing that last part to be a discouragement. However, this brief phrase, and he died, speaks of the dark cloud of death that hung over, not only you and me, but it hung over these men, these generations who were listed, and these ones who were said to have lived over 900 years. We all have it in common. And it goes on and on and on in this passage until you get to verse number 23. Drop down and look at verse number 23. Because here's what verse 23 says. And all the days of Enoch, watch the difference, were 365 years, colon, and there's nothing said afterward. There's no mention of death for Enoch. But if you go on to verse number 24, the Bible continues and says this, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So suddenly there's a break in the pattern, and certainly the story of Enoch points you and me to the living hope that you and I as believers now have in Jesus Christ, the risen Savior of the world, who ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Aren't you thankful that he is sitting up there just waiting to bring you on home? Oh, he has gone ahead. Uh, yes, he's the way, the truth, and the life. 
But he also told his disciples before that, he said, listen, in my father's house are many mansions. If you prefer a room, we can get you one down at Motel 6. I prefer a mansion. He said, he said some people say, my Bible says room. Well, enjoy that. My, my version says mansion, so I'm going to stick with mansion. Right? Uh, pastor, is it really a mansion? It's a mansion anywhere you're with Jesus. I don't care if it's a, a, a 200 uh, uh, square foot room. It's a mansion, right? It's more than we deserve. How about that? He said, in my father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again, and I'm going to receive you unto myself. That where I am there, you may be also. I might get excited today. This story, you're going to figure out why Enoch is one of my favorites. This story has some incredible truths for us to soak up and to absorb in our life. And so let's take a look at a few of them. Number one, Enoch walked with God. You're like, duh. Look at Genesis chapter 5. In verse 22, the Bible says Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. And then in verse number 24, it says Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God actually took him. So what does it mean to walk with God? Now we can talk about walking and being holy as he is holy. And it certainly encompasses a, a huge amount of, uh, of details. But I think walking with God is going to uh, be important for you and I to understand that if we are walking with God, there is going to be a constant and a conscious enjoyment of being in God's presence. Sam Elliott shared that a few weeks ago. If you were here a few weeks ago, he was talking about walking in the presence, in God's presence, in the present. There's going to be a constant and a conscious enjoyment of walking with God in the present. And a life that walks with God is going to involve, no doubt, here's some things, and I'm going to alliterate. Number one, it's no doubt going to enjoy some peace. Man, it's going to enjoy some peace. You know, Amos 3.3 says this. It says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Listen, I can't even walk with my wife unless I'm agreed. You think that's funny? That's, no, that's real deal. She and I are not going to walk together unless there is an agreement. An agreement of purpose. An agreement of where we are headed. Of what we are doing. Where we are going. You know the same thing's true with God. You think back in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they, they walked with God. They walked with God in peace. They had peace until they sinned. And until they started trying to hide from God. By the way, if you're hiding from God, you're not going to walk with Him in peace. You know why we hide from God? Because we, we don't want him to see what's going on. That's the same thing Adam and Eve did. They didn't want God to see what was going on, and so they, they thought they, they could outsmart God, and so they, they hid themselves. And God is like playing hide-and-go-seek. He's like, Ali, Ali, I'll come free. He said, where you at? As if he didn't know. He said, y'all, come out. Come out from wherever you are. Your sin has revealed your your true situation now. Listen, their disobedience in the Garden of Eden disrupted their peace with God. Can I tell you, our disobedience and our sin disrupts our peace with God. And typically what we do after we start to blame everybody else other than ourselves, we typically try somehow we think we can hide from God. There's no way we're going to walk in peace and hide from God because you see light has no communion with darkness. 
That's what John said in 1 John 1 and verse 6 and 7. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Listen, we cannot walk in peace with God if we are still at war with God and have nothing in common with him. Like, I have nothing in common with God, then guess what? There's not going to be a peaceful walk, right? Therefore, if we're going to walk in peace with God, we must steer clear of sin. And when we do sin, then the reality is we need to acknowledge it, we need to ask forgiveness, and we need to literally abandon it. Also, walking with God involves purpose. If we're going to walk with God, we must be walking in the same direction. Listen, for example, God is the great peacemaker. So as uh, Psalm 34 and uh, verse number 14 re uh, reveals, listen, we ought to be seeking peace and pursuing it. So if I seek peace and I pursue peace, then guess what? I'm walking in the same direction as God is walking. There's, there's consistency there in that walk. God is also just and merciful. In Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8, Scripture teaches us by saying that he has showed thee, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. So when you and I deal with other people in a way that's just and kind and compassionate, then guess what? You and I are walking humbly in the same direction as God. And the reality is it, everything, it has everything to do with the submission of our will. Because here's the deal, God does not force himself on me to walk a certain way. He does, not, he does not force himself and tell me that I have to do this. So listen, when we surrender ourselves, when we surrender our will and we walk with God, when we seek peace and pursue it, when we're kind, when we execute justice and judgment and compassion towards people, listen, we are walking with God. Again, how can two walk together, as Amos 3.3 says? Unless they be agreed. Oh, listen, Jesus' earthly walk with his heavenly Father is our supreme example. In fact, in the chapter over in Hebrews chapter 10, in verse number 7, he's, the, the scripture says this, Then said I, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. This is a reference. The writer of Hebrews is referencing. You can go back to Psalm 40 because he's referencing what David said in Psalm 40 and he attributes it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Just prior to Jesus' arrest and crucifixion, you remember when Jesus went out in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he's praying. In Luke 22 and 42, our Lord's heartfelt desire and purpose is there when he prays these words, Not my will, but thine be done. Oh, this is what we need to do. Listen, if we're going to walk with God, it's going to be a walk of peace. It's going to be a walk of purpose. It's also going to be a walk of progress. Walking indicates, watch this, Steady progress. It does not indicate sitting, and it does not indicate sprinting. It indicates a steady, slow sometimes, but a steady progress forward. Scripture tells us that Enoch did this continually for 300 years. I think about the Apostle Paul. After he comes and, and he has this Damascus Road experience in his conversion. Later on, he writes to the church at Philippi, and he says these words. He says in Philippians 3, 13 and 14, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Notice what he says. He said, I press 
toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, he says, I may not have arrived yet, but he said, I'm reaching and I'm pressing forward. I'm always striving forward. I'm always making progress. And guess what? He said, I'm pressing towards the mark. That's the word skopos in Greek. And so he says, I'm looking through a scope and what I have in my crosshairs, so to speak, is Jesus Christ the righteous. That's what a walk with God is going to look like. Oh, it's a walk of progress. By the way, a walk of progress is also going to be a walk of growth. Just as a sidebar, if you're progressing in your walk with the Lord, there's going to be growth that takes place. In fact, 2 Peter 3.18 reminds us that we're to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's like the shirt I wore last Sunday to the ice cream get-together. had the uh, less than and greater than sign. It says, John 3.30 says, right? I must decrease, but he must increase. That's what a walk with God is. It's a walk that says, hey, guess what? It's not about me. My walk is about him. And so this is what Enoch understood. We see that Enoch walked with God. It's also a walk that involves privilege. Can you imagine that God, a very God, actually wants to walk with you? He wants to communicate with you. Are we here this morning? Does it, are you, do you realize that? He loves you so much that he wants to have an intimate relationship with you as you walk with him. Oh, listen, his role as the good shepherd, as we talked about in Psalm 23, reminds us that he goes with us even as you and I walk through, as Psalm 23, 4 says, through the valley of the shadow of death. Remember he said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. That's what, that's what David said. He understood his good shepherd. Listen, walking with God like Enoch did will also bring pleasure. Listen, I, I don't want to point anybody out, but uh, if we want to get somewhere quickly, we hop in the car. And we might push the gas pedal a little too fast. But if we want to enjoy something, we take a stroll. We just get out, we take a walk. I know people who go out into the parks around here and they go and they sit and they just watch. Have you ever just slowed yourself down in fall and looked at the beautiful uh, colors of the trees and the leaves changing? Oh, listen, when we want to enjoy something, we're going to walk. We're not going to race through it. And this is the case in Psalm 1611. David said, thou will show me the path of life. He said, in thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So when we walk with God, there's going to be a constant and a conscious joy of being in his presence. In other words, it's been said, a walk with God is going to be like a little taste of heaven on earth. A little taste of heaven on earth. By the way, Enoch would have enjoyed all these things, all of them, because Genesis 5 and 22 and 24 tells us that he walked with God. Secondly, though, I see that walking, that Enoch walked with God knowing what was to come. You see, in the early chapters of Genesis, beginning with Adam and Eve, we see the sin of Adam and Eve, but it continues. It continues to abound, and the unfortunate growth of sin uh, and its effect on the world takes place. And you really see that beginning in chapter 6. But the disobedience of their one disobedience in the garden continues. And you see this trajectory as things get worse and worse and worse. And last week, you remember, we were reminded of Cain's sinfulness 
not only his sinfulness, but his unwillingness to listen to God in the eventual murder of his brother. But look across the page at Genesis chapter 6, because by the time we get to the 10th generation, now watch this, 10 generations, we get to the time of Noah in Genesis 6 and verse number 5. Notice what scripture says. It says that God saw the wickedness of man, it was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So obviously, you back it out. If you look at Genesis chapter 5, you see that Enoch is the seventh generation from Adam, only three generations before Noah. And so we just read how wicked things were by the time of Noah. So the reality is, I got news for you. Sin would have been out of control even in the time of Enoch. And so he walks with God despite what's to come. You say, well, how do we know what was to come? How did Enoch know what was to come? Well, if you turn with me in my Bible, it's page 791. Turn over to the, the small letter of Jude. Jude, all the way near the end of the New Testament. I want you to see two verses and that's how we get more of the story. You say, man, there's not a lot written. You're, you, you got a lot of information, but it only says that he walked with God. And Hebrews says that God translated him and he, he pleased God. W what else can we see in this? Well, if you look over in Jude, you'll see a brief prophecy that's spoken from God to Enoch. And it's recorded for us here. And you'll see that Enoch actually... Uh, is given this prophetic glimpse of, of the Lord's glorious return and how he'll return and bring judgment and establish truth and right every wrong and bring justice in the world. Look at verse number 14. Verse number 14 and 15. And the scripture states, And Enoch also, uh-oh, here we go, all the way over in Judah, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. How did he get the prophecy? He got it from God. God told him what was getting ready to happen. Watch what he says. He prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Notice in verse 15 alone, you see the word ungodly four times. Why? Because it was a very ungodly society that Enoch lived in. And so Enoch, he walks with God, but he knows that judgment is going to come at some point. Now, I took it out of my message, and I'm not going to go into the details, but there are others, and I'll let you do this study on your own, but there are others who believe that even in the name of his son Methuselah, if you take the four Hebrew words that uh, make up his name, there are some that believe God actually revealed to Enoch exactly when he would bring the flood. Eh, I'll let you figure that out on your own. Y'all can debate that down at Chick-fil-A on your own. But the reality is, watch this, Enoch was surrounded, not just a few, he was surrounded by people, he was surrounded by people who had no desire for God. He was surrounded by people who spoke against God. He was surrounded by people who were defiant to God. Does that sound familiar? But even still, there's encouragement to be had because even though all sorts of wickedness, all sorts of evil, and all sorts of ungodliness were abounding in Enoch's time, Enoch seems to have faithfully stood with and for God. 
That's what scripture tells us. It tells us that Enoch walked with God. And folks, that's exactly what you and I are called to do today in 2023. So from this brief prophecy, we can see that Enoch lived with a keen awareness of God's coming judgment. In other words, he understood Hebrews chapter 9, what Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 20 says when it talks about the fact that it's appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment. He understood as James 4.14 says that our life is a vapor and it appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. You say, man, he would have understood all of these things. Yes, and in spite of all the wickedness that was surrounding him. And guess what? Do you know, let me just put it this way. You're like, ah, it's a big deal. What's the big deal? Wickedness tries to get you and I off track today too, doesn't it? Do you think it would have tried to get Enoch off track? Do you think it would have tried to pull him away from serving God or walking with God or pleasing God? Absolutely. He was covered with the same stuff you and I are covered with, flesh. And so he would, there would have been a propensity of the world around him, the wickedness around him, to pull him into that. And yet, it seems from Scripture, all that we have to go on is the Word of God, and that's enough, amen? It seems to indicate that this man stood for God and that he stood with God. Oh, friends, you and I must be ready. We must be ready for what comes next at all times. And the only way to be ready is to know Jesus and to walk with Him every day. Number three, here we go, dads. This is for you, dads. It's not Father's Day, but this is for you. Enoch walked with God after becoming a dad. Look at verse 22, Genesis 5. It says, Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years. Now, did he walk with God before? We could debate that. But it, see, it, it literally indicates that after Methuselah is born, he walks with God 300 years, that's what we have. You see, because just like you and us, you and I, Ephesians 2.2, Enoch, just like us, Ephesians 2.2, he walked according to the course of this world. He walked according to the prince of the power of the air, right? In verse number 3 of Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible declares that uh, Enoch, just like you and I, by nature, he was a child of wrath, even as others. But there was some point, some time in his life when he understood that doing it his way was not the right way. There was a time when something happened in Enoch's life, based on the verse of scripture that we have, that changed Enoch's life. And by faith, as Hebrews 11 tells us, he begins to walk with God. So much so that God says, you know what? This one right here is pleasing me so much. I'm just going to snatch him away. Man, I've, I've, I've prayed that. I've told my wife many times, man, would to God he would just snatch me out one day. Right? You know what? You could aspire to something uh, like that. It's okay. We aspire to be like everything else under the sun. Why not aspire to be like someone who pleases God? Number four, Enoch walked with God until God carried him home. Look at verse 23 and 24. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not. Watch it. For God, what does it say? God took him. So if we go back 
in Genesis chapter 5, we understand that Genesis chapter 5 is filled with numbers from generation to generation. And if we do the math, we can see, by the way, I just said something that I don't normally say. If we do the math, math is not one of my favorite topics, right? But if we do the math, we can see that Adam was still alive when Enoch was born. In fact, more than that, uh, there had been 622 years from the time of Adam and time he was created, right, until the birth of Enoch. But if you look at Genesis 5.5, it tells us that Adam lived 930 years total. Therefore, he would have still been living, right, when Enoch's son Methuselah was born, and he would have still had, just because I did a lot of the math on a little sticky last week, he would have had 56 years of life left when the ninth generation from Adam, Lamech, was born. That was Enoch's grandson. Can you imagine the very first created human being still alive? Nine generations, all living at the same time. And again, you say, what's the point? If you and I just took time sometimes... I mean, I scribbled it out on a sticky and it was just, it was incredible to see and to think about all that could have transpired during those initial generations. By the way, if you want to know and you really don't want to do the math, uh, uh, Adam only missed Noah by 126 years. 126 years before Noah was born, Adam dies. The reality is we do the math, we can see that Enoch was taken to God taken by God soon after, watch this, Adam dies. Adam dies at 930 years. If you do the math, at 987 years or a mere 57 years later, God takes Enoch. You say, what's the significance? Well, we don't know, and I was talking to my wife and others about this, we don't know about whether Eve had passed away. We don't know about others. All we have in recorded scripture is that other than Cain, who was murdered by his, or Abel, who was murdered by his brother Cain, which, by the way, none of these other generations would have seen. The only one who would have seen that was Adam and Eve, right? And, and if there were other children. So the reality is none of these other generations would have seen that. So from what I have in scripture, the first recorded physical death in scripture is right there at Adam. Can you imagine nine generations of guys? Adam dies. What's going, what's going on? I mean, who knows? You say, well, sure, other people have died. We don't know. We don't know, but we do know that the patriarch, the, the very first human, dies at 930 years. And so they're confronted with Adam's death. And then a mere 57 years later, boom, Enoch is gone. Just carried away, carried away. And the reality is scripture says that he served God. He served God all those final 300 years of his life. And the reality is that at 57 years later, God who is rich in mercy, he takes Enoch and, and it really could be a sign that the power of death has been broken and that there is hope, right? And that not everybody will be just like Adam. 
but that power of death can be broken. Oh, listen, if you look back at verse 24 in the text, that word took, you see it says God took him. That word took comes from the Hebrew word lakach, and it actually means to take, to bring, watch this, or to carry away, or seize, or snatch. And so if you compare that with Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 5, which says Enoch was translated. Now this is the word used in here. He was translated so that he should not see death and was not found because God translated him. The word translated comes from the Greek word metatithami. And it means, watch this, to transfer, to transport, to exchange, or to carry over. You say, what's the point? Well, death has been referred to as a river. A lot of times I hear old school, old school believers saying, well, oh, old Bobby Joe crossed over Chile, Jordan. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they refer to death as a river. The reality is most of us will go through the river. We will go through the river. But you know what Scripture is telling us? Scripture is saying that God took, he took Enoch, and he took him from this side of the shore and he carried him all the way over. He's walking with God over here. He picks him up and he drops him over on the other shore so that Enoch could continue to walk with God. By faith, Enoch walked with God until God carried him home. Oh, listen, Enoch's faith in God had become sight. His faith in God had become sight. And because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the power of sin, death, hell, and the grave have all been broken. Acts 1.9 says that he, Jesus, was taken up in a cloud and received out of their sight. In John 14.3, which I've already referenced, Jesus said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. Now watch that word, receive you. He said, I will receive you that where I am, there you may be also. And the reason I said pay attention to the word receive is because the word receive actually comes from the Greek word paralambano, and it actually means to receive near, to associate with oneself, receive, or watch this, or take. The reality for you and I is death for the believer whenever it comes is simply Jesus Christ receiving us. He's receiving us. He's taking us home. Amen. And yes, I may have to go through that river, but if you're here when Jesus returns, man, you're going to be beamed up just like Scotty said, right? And you're going to go and see Jesus. Some of you are halfway excited. I'm serious. Sometimes I think we get more excited about who the commanders are playing today. By the way, don't place your faith and trust in the commanders. I want to believe. I want to believe, but you know, I base my faith on past provisions. We get excited about all kinds of things except for the things that we really ought to get excited about. He walked with God until God carried him home. And then lastly, Enoch walked with God by faith. He exercised faith. Hebrews 11.5 concludes by telling us that Enoch's faith in walking with God before his translation, watch it, before he was translated or before he had his transferal, if you please, to heaven, had pleased God. And then immediately as to give us a lesson, if you look at verse number 6 of this same passage, 
It applies Enoch's lesson to us by saying that without faith, it is impossible to please him. In other words, God says, listen, I've told you that faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things unseen. I've told you that that's how the elders obtained a good report. I've told you by, that that's how the world was formed. And I also told you that by faith, Abel, he offered unto me a more excellent sacrifice than his brother. But now I've just told you that Enoch, he had this testimony. He walked with me. He pleased me. And so I translated him, but that was all done by faith. And so God is speaking to us. And then he says in verse 6, he says, Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God, for the person who draws near to God, must believe that he is first. Chad, you couldn't have said it better. I am that I am. We must believe that he is who he says he is, right? If you're going to have faith to walk with God, you must first believe that he is who he says he is. Amen? And he says that we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Listen, if anyone is going to come to God, if anyone is going to draw near to God, then they must believe that God is who he says he is. And folks, can I tell you, that's where faith begins. You're not going to walk with God if you don't believe what God has revealed. You're not going to walk with God if you don't trust what God has promised. And I dare say that we're not going to walk with God if we don't have a propensity to actually take time to listen to what God says. Instead of listening to what everybody else says, try listening to what God says. That's how we'll walk with God, right? Take our advice, take our information, collect it from the Word of God, and then put it into practice. Listen, Faith just does not happen. It listens and it believes what God has revealed and trusts what God has promised before it ever walks with God. And you may be sitting here and you say, you know what, I know you're wrapping up, but I still have questions. That's good. You say, I have questions. That's good because Jesus actually said in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 7, he said, ask and it shall be given unto you. He said, seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. You got questions? That's great, because guess what? The creator of the universe has all the answers right here. He says, I'll give you the answer. You, you want, you're looking for answers today, young person? You're looking for answers today? Sir, ma'am, grandpa, grandma, auntie, uncle, you're looking for answers? God says, that's okay, I got the answer right here for you. Ask. And it'll be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock. And it'll be opened unto you. Isaiah 55 and verse 6 and 7 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy. In other words, he will have compassion upon him. And our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Listen. You say... I haven't even trusted Jesus yet. I don't even have a relationship with Jesus. How could I walk with him? You know that's okay. It's really okay. Because you know anytime you look in the word of God, you can be reminded from 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 2. The Bible says that now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Oh, listen, if you're still breathing, it's not too late. 
God is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You say, what's that all about? That's a recognition that God is who he says he is, and I am not. We are not, right? And it's also a recognition that says, listen, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I need to be forgiven, and so God, I'm asking you to forgive me. That's really what it's all about. It's like, I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you are the creator. I believe you are the Christ. I believe you died for my sins. I believe that you were buried in a borrowed tomb and you rose again three days later, conquering death, hell, and the grave. Oh, man, and you victoriously ascended. Not only did you rise up from the grave, but you ascended into heaven and you've prepared a place for like-minded believers. After all, Hebrews chapter 11, it literally concludes with a beautiful promise for us in verse number 11, and it tells us that God is a rewarder, a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Are you seeking him? Are you listening to him? Do you believe him? Do you trust him? If all of those things are affirmative in your case, then the next step is, is to by faith say, God, on September the 10th, I'm asking you to give me the strength to walk with you. I believe what you have revealed. I trust what you have promised. I'm listening to you, and I've tried to do things my own way, but God, today I'm going to ask you to be with me. Give me strength. Give me wisdom. Give me the wherewithal to stand for you, to stand with you, and by faith today, and don't wait till tomorrow, just start right now, today. By faith, I'm going to start walking with you. And Lord, I want to be like Enoch. I want to please you. Oh, I pray that that's your hope. And I pray that that's your prayer. Are you listening? Are you believing? Are you trusting? And are you walking with God? I pray you are. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word, God, and the time that we've had in your word. God, I pray now that God, whatever you're doing in our hearts and lives at this moment, I pray that we'll be obedient, that we'll not shut out the Spirit, your Spirit that is speaking to us as your Word is spoken to us. God, I pray that we will have that desire to walk with you by faith and, and to understand that it is only you that is going to carry us home one day. So, Lord, help us to please you. Help us to live in a way that brings you honor and brings you glory. God, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. And we ask this in the precious and powerful name of your son, Jesus. And for his sake we pray, amen.